I invite you to open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. As always, it's good to see everyone out this evening. If you're visiting with us, we appreciate you and just ask that you stay uh, for a few minutes afterwards that we get to know you a little bit better. Um, For those that are members here, it's just good to be able to worship with you, study God's Word together a little bit more. And I hope that the lesson tonight, I trust that the lesson tonight will be profitable ultimately because we're just going to read from the Scriptures. But uh, particularly tonight's lesson, we, we started... Uh, a conversation not too long ago in, in a men's meeting that we should maybe have a few lessons on the eldership. And um, tonight we're really going to get into that. I felt kind of bad because last week we really didn't get into the work or the qualifications. We just kind of dealt with our current situation. So I will just say I'm not planning on going over a lesson on the eldership every single week. We're going to kind of take maybe maybe a week or so break in between each lesson. But but I did want to at least start on uh, the eldership, the, the work specifically. Uh, and, and beginning in 1 Timothy chapter 3, as we look at the work, just, just see how it begins the conversation. Paul begins the conversation with Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. I like the New King James Version because it says it is a good work. And, and I like that translation because it, it, it not only has the word good, which I think kind of harkens our minds to the, the notion that we need to be about good deeds, but particularly I want to focus on the fact that it is a work. And we're not going to leave that notion all the way throughout the study. And, and so as we look at this work, as we look at this role in the church, I'd like to first just begin by looking at the names that are given to the man that is going to fulfill this role within the local church. And so just from the very beginning, obviously the word that you are going to hear many times is the word elder. That's probably one of the most common terms that we use, names from biblical names that we use when talking about this role within the church. Now, there's another word that is used once, at least in the New American Standard, it's used once in the the, uh, New Testament for elder, and that's the word presbytery. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, very quickly. Just, just so you know what the reference is. It says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. And, and there's even a footnote in the New American Standard, at least in my Bible, that says board or council of elders. And really, that's, that is the notion. I think, if anything, if we're going to take anything from that word being used, I think it's just mainly talking about a plurality there. So maybe, an, maybe a good way of saying it is just an eldership, or just the way that it's used throughout the New Testament. It's used in Luke chapter 22 and verse 66, Acts chapter 22 and verse 5, and every time, it, except for in 1 Timothy, it is uh, uh, consistently council of elders. And so if, if anybody wants to you know, go any further than, than just there's a plurality here, it's a council of elders, then I'm not sure where they're getting that from. And so I just wanted to start with that notion. And, and incidentally, there's going to be a word in each of the three names that are given, Greek words that are used for this role, that I think has some maybe bad context because of the the current religious world today, the the denominational world, how they tend to use and and I think um, overextend themselves on some of these names. And so what we we mean when we talk about an elder is what we find all all the way throughout the New Testament when it talks about Someone who is, I think, experienced, someone who is aged. In fact, the, the word elder, just the plain connotation is age. 
uh, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it just immediately implies it. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 17, Acts chapter 20 and verse 17, as it's talking about those that are coming from Ephesus to meet with Paul, in verse 17 it says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And these would be the men that he gives that very stark warning to beginning in verse 28, as he's talking about how they need to take care of the flock that is among them, that they are... That they are uh, over. Now, the same word is used in, over in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 in verse 17. Acts chapter 2 and verse 17, during the, at the day of Pentecost, during this beautiful sermon that Peter gives the apostle, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 17, as he's quoting the prophet Joel, says, And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall, be, shall, shall see visions, rather, and your Old men shall dream dreams. And so that word old men is the same word for elder. And so I, I, and there's a few other places you could go, but just from the very beginning, I just want to make clear that it does imply, it does indicate those that are at least aged. And again, I don't think that's an insult by any means. It's, it's just, it's obviously not somebody that's, that's inexperienced. It's obviously not going to indicate someone that is younger and hasn't been through the same experiences of life. And we'll come back to this notion as we go throughout the study. And so when, you, when this word is used in the New Testament, it very clearly is not just referring to older folks in general, you know, just respect your elders. It is referring to a very specific role in the church. Acts chapter 14 and verse 23. Paul went about the, the churches in that, in that missionary journey appointing elders. He wasn't just appointing a 20-year-old as a 50-year-old. He was appointing people to a very specific work. And so just understand the, from the very outset what this word will, how it is used throughout the New Testament and what we're specifically talking about tonight. The, another Greek word that is used is overseer. In the New American Standard um, Bible, in, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, you will see a footnote in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1 that kind of tells you uh, that, that other translations use the word bishop. But it very quickly in Philippians 1 and verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. I have to say, I really like the fact that the New American Standard never uses the word bishop throughout the New Testament. Because, frankly, I don't think that that is, I think it's an unfortunate translation. And I think it's unfortunate because of what much of the religious world has done with that from early on in the early centuries into modern day religion. And, and so, it, it, what it simply means is an overseer. Now, looking at that term very specifically, what does overseer imply? Well, there's oversight. And, and frankly, as you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 that we started with, it's not just a title. And, and I, I think maybe this is a, a good application to, to start with because I think maybe some people would look at it as something that we could just take upon ourselves and we just wear it like a title and not really get involved or active in that position, in that role. But it's not just a title. It is, it is a designation of the work that is involved now for that person within the church. And so it is a very active work. And again, the, the, the activity of this work is just going to be emphasized over and over again throughout this, this sermon. And so you have someone who is experienced, someone who is not young but is aged to a degree, you know, and, and you have someone that is over, an overseer, they have oversight, and they are active in the work. Now, the next name that we see in particular emphasizes the position as a work just like we see with overseer and not just as a title and that is the word pastor now in Ephesians chapter 4 just a couple pages over 
Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. This is the only place in my Bible where this word is not translated as shepherd, but as pastor. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 it says, And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. And so what is a part of this body of Christ? What, is a, what are different roles within the church? Well, he gives us several in verse 11. And one of those is pastors. Now again, this is the only time, at least in my Bible, where it's translated as pastor. Every other time, it is, it is translated as shepherd. And I think that makes sense, because when you hear the word pastor, you can almost hear the word pasture, which is, you know, when, when you think about what shepherds do, what, what do they do with, with their flock? Well, they lead to pasture. And so when you think about that word, that's all it means. It simply means a shepherd and someone who is involved in the work of a shepherd and the efforts and energy spent in doing so. And now, what all goes into shepherding? Well, you've got to feed the flock. You've got to tend to the flock. You've got to care for the flock. And you've got to spend time on them and the energy and money on them. And if one isn't willing to do all the things required of a shepherd, what I would think from, from what I see in the scriptures, I don't know if that person could be one. If someone is not willing to do all, I'm not saying someone is willing to do a few, but just a couple they don't like. If someone is not willing to do the full work of a shepherd, that person's not fit to lead as one. And so we need to start with that understanding from the very beginning. And so you don't just get to say, I'm a pastor, or I'm an overseer, I'm an elder, elder just for the fun of it. It's described as an active living. So what these names do is, I think, help us understand a little bit better what the work of an elder is. And, and what I want to do for the rest of the lesson is, is from these names that are used throughout the New Testament, I want to see what I think is just a few things that are implied by these names and, and the kind of activity that is involved in this work as we look at just the nature of the work. And first of all, I will just say, this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but I think it's at least a, a start of your consideration in mind to what an elder's work is and should be. So as we look at the nature of the work, first of all, I would say that it is designated for a proven, pure character, not a politician. And, I, and I'm very pointed in what I mean by that. Go over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 again, beginning in verse 1. And I know that you've already seen these. I know you've gone through a series before on this a couple of years ago. I know you've read these passages before. But I would encourage you to get your Bible out and read with me. Because it's always a good idea to refresh your mind and for your eyes to see the words while you're hearing it. You get a double portion in that way. So 1 Timothy chapter 3 in verse 1 beginning. It says, it is a trustworthy statement, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside of the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, we won't look at Titus chapter 1 just yet. We will uh, in, in just a moment. But when you look at all of these characteristics, all of these qualities, they, they are, I think, rightfully called qualifications. But what they are just as much are characteristics that we are supposed to be striving for. And, and if someone does not have all of these characteristics, what this shows from the beginning is they are not fit 
to lead in such a capacity. They are not fit to take on this role of shepherd, of elder, of overseer, unless they fully have this down. And I'll just admit, I know that that, you know, saying that, it's kind of difficult. It kind of makes things harder. Because... I know that there's always room to grow, and I know there's always room for discussion of, well, maybe this person needs to grow more, maybe this person is, is already there. But we, we can't be, we can't find it acceptable during this conversation to say, well, he, he might work to this point of patience, or he might work past this point of pugnacious. It's already got to be done. And that's not the last time you're going to hear that throughout this series. Because I can't tell you how many times I've seen situations where people either have done this, or they have tried to push men through that simply were not prepared. They were not equipped to lead in such a capacity, and it leads to ruin every single time. And that's just in my limited experience. And so it, when, when we use the word elder, this is an experienced man, not someone still working on these qualifications, but already have them in place. Now a politician comes in, this is what I mean by a politician. This person tries to go around and campaign for themselves. They're trying to convince people that they already have these qualities. They're, they're essentially vying for the position and foaming at the mouth almost just to rule. This man is not someone who has these qualities already in place. This is someone who, because they don't, are trying to persuade people and coerce people into saying, oh, yes, he does. But that's not the kind of man that God says is fit to be an elder. And that's not the man that, I, that me or you want to be an elder. Now, the man that's pure, the man that's proven, the one that has these characteristics already in place, it's established. You, and, and this person hasn't cut corners on these qualities. I think that's something else that people try to do. We try to cut corners. We, we try to not fully invest ourselves in the work, not fully invest ourselves in making sure that we actually look the part. We do try to cut corners. But, but that's not what a true man of God, a, a man that is going to serve in this capacity, does. And so he is experienced. All these things are established. But not only that, this man is impartial. He is just. Another thing that a politician does is he is only for himself and his constituents. And maybe, uh, maybe to bring it a little bit more home, he is for himself and his clique. And that, is a, that presents a real problem. That presents a problem that James talks about. That presents a problem that Paul has to talk about in Galatians chapter 2. A man that becomes partial, a man that becomes uh, uh, so partial that he is being an example of really hypocrisy and sinful behavior to all. And so that is what a politician does. He is going to come into certain circumstances, and when it's his people that he's closest to, well, we're going to give him a pass, even when it's something that needs to be dealt with. Or you have the man that is truly qualified, that already has these qualities established. He is not for himself at all, but he is for everyone in the flock, not just a certain group of people, but for everyone. And this is important because what that means is you're spending time on everyone. And I know that the bigger the group is, the harder that is. But that is the work that you are aspiring for if you do aspire for the work. That you are giving yourself to everyone's time. And you're giving yourself to everyone's needs, not just a few. And with more people, that is going to take more time. That's going to take more responsibility. But it's still a good work. And so we need to understand that it's a proven man, that these qualities are established and not just a politician. But when you continue thinking about the nature of the work, it is leadership. It is not tyrannical lordship. Over in 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. 
Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so, when you look at this notion of leading, uh, particularly when you think about the word um, oversight in verse 2, I think it makes it very clear. An elder is someone, a shepherd is someone who is going to have authority to some degree. Now, that doesn't mean unchecked. We're going to make that point in just a moment. But he does have authority to make decisions. Particularly, you think about a situation like Acts chapter 15. There is an issue that arises, and the elders, along with the apostles, are talking about the issue. And they have to figure out, how, how are we going to help our brethren? What, are, what decision are we going to make to make sure that people don't go in the wrong direction, don't go away from the gospel? Um, and so, it, they, they do have authority, they do have charge. And that's another specific word that I use in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12. They have oversight, but in verse Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, it says, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And so he starts by saying, make sure you appreciate those men who diligently labor among you. Once again, emphasizing the fact that it's a work. But beyond that, he says they do have charge over you. And in fact, they're giving them instruction that they need to follow. And so there is authority here. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, I think it makes it even more clear, we are to obey our leaders. But again, that doesn't mean it's unchecked charge or unchecked authority. Over in 1 Timothy again in chapter 3. 1 Timothy 3, you remember what we read in verses 4 and 5. As it's talking about the, the domestic qualifications of, a, of an elder... It says he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? It's the very same notion, the very same word, that, that these are people that manage their households well, and so that, brings, that obviously has authority, and they are people that are supposed to manage the Lord's house, the, the house of God. In the local church, in the local capacity. Now, does a parent, when you think about that example, does a parent have charge to do just rule however they want? They can make whatever decision they want. Well, if you're a Christian, no, because there are certain boundaries that God has given us. There are certain ways that we are supposed to rule, and there are instructions that we ourselves are supposed to work within. In fact, you go back to 1 Peter chapter 5, the notion is you are leading like the chief shepherd. And so you're not going beyond his footsteps. You're just following along and you're leading in that capacity. And so that, there is authority here, but obviously it does not mean unchecked authority. Now, with all that being said, I think this more so speaks to how they lead. He leads. He doesn't drive. Now, what I mean by that is I remember seeing a, a video on Facebook not long ago. It was incredible. Someone had trained these three shepherd dogs to, to just... <laughs> terrorize this huge flock of sheep to go where they wanted to go. I mean, it was incredible because they were just so trained, so highly trained, and they were incredibly effective. They were keeping the sheep in line. They were getting them all into one place. But I'll tell you what, they were driving the entire time. They were nipping at their heels and constantly barking at them. That's not what a shepherd does. It's cool to see on a video. And, and maybe it is effective to, for, for in that capacity. But when you're talking about a local church, that's not how a shepherd really leaves. He's not 
like the shepherd dogs terrorizing and barking. He, he doesn't bark like a dog, but rather he leads lovingly and with care. What does it say in John chapter 10? As you look at how Jesus is the good shepherd, but my sheep know my voice. I know them by name. And I would just say, if you want to be a good shepherd, go to John chapter 10 and look at all the characteristics that Jesus gives. And, and we even looked at that not long ago, a few months ago, looking at John chapter 10 and those statements he makes as he's talking about being the good shepherd. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I usually don't, I usually don't, you know, plug myself in for, to listen to past lessons. But I will say I put a lot of work into that one with, with this in mind, in fact. Because if you want to be a shepherd that, that gives glory to God, if you want to be a shepherd that leads the proper and appropriate way, you ultimately need to look to Jesus. I mean, we all should be. But I think sometimes we tend to forget that. And we tend to forget that we need to be following after his footsteps and men decide to take the reins themselves. That's, that's not what the chief shepherd did. He, he led lovingly. He led with care. He tended to the sheep. He didn't, and he acted on the will of his father, the initiative of his father. He didn't just go off on his own. Well, so it is leading and not lordship. It is beyond that overseeing, not overlooking. And I think that the application is pretty clear, right? When you look at the word overseer, this is someone who is active and pays attention to the needs of the flock, to the needs of the congregation. We talked about Acts chapter 15 just a moment ago, but in Acts chapter 15 and verse 6, Acts chapter 15 and verse 6, there was a problem that was arising as we already mentioned, and it was causing a, a lot of issues and strife within the brotherhood, and, and particularly when it came to uh, Gentiles that were being converted. Peter has to speak up and talk about the, the conversion of Cornelius and the Gentiles were, that were with him. In Acts chapter 15 and verse 6, it says, the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. I know that the apostles are the ones that really have the lead here, and they really have that ultimate authority in this situation. But just understand that the elders came together as well in Jerusalem. The elders did not, just, did not just leave it to the apostles and say, you know what, we trust y'all. I mean, of course they're going to trust the apostles, but they didn't say, we trust y'all, we're just going to let you handle this. No, they paid attention because there was a need that arose among their own people. And there needed to be things that, that were dealt with, and they dealt with it head on. And this is what an overseer does. They see an issue and they deal with it head on. They don't wait. They don't procrastinate. They don't overlook things. I think the best way of describing this is that they are proactive. And, and just turn over to Acts chapter 20. In verse 28, you think about why we need to be proactive. I, I know that sometimes we kind of shrug our shoulders and roll our eyes when we talk about you know, good habits to get into and you know, not to procrastinate, be proactive. But you want to know why it's so important to, to think ahead. You want to know why it's so important to be proactive and not just wait till the last minute, especially when it comes to this work. Because look at what it says in verse 28 of Acts chapter 20. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Who has made them overseers? God, the Holy Spirit. But not only that, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So why is it so important that we, that we harp on this point? That we need to be active, proactive, that the overseers need to be very uh, aware and active in this kind of capacity. Because they have been charged with a very great um, uh, investment from God. They are the ones that are going to have to be held accountable. And why? Because this people was purchased with the blood of Jesus. 
And so they're not just a hired hand, as you see kind of alluded to in John chapter 10. They have been entrusted as a steward of God. They have been entrusted with something truly precious. And so what does this mean in, in, in maybe modern day application? What does this look like when it comes to an overseer in the church today? Well, you see maybe a brother or a sister in the assembly, or rather you see them missing the assembly. And maybe they're kind of spotty. And, and when you see that, are you going to note the absence and move on and then not really come back to it until next time and say, oh, they're gone again. Note the absence, mark that down, but then move on. No, I don't think that's what the real overseer does. The true overseer of God, who has been qualified by the Holy Spirit. The true overseer, he sees a need. He sees that maybe there is a lack in, in attendance. He sees that there is a lack in maybe uh, encouragement, investment. And what he does is call that person. What he does is he visits that person. And he tries to see what's going on. He tries to make sure that there's nothing wrong with that individual, that maybe there's not a reason that they're missing, or maybe it's just an accident. Maybe it is just an accident, but they're not just going to let that go. They're going to make sure that everything's okay. What else does that look like? Maybe there's a problem brewing among brethren. Maybe there is a, uh, maybe even it's just whispers, but there's something that is brewing. There's something that is festering. Is the overseer going to just kind of let it simmer, let it wait, let it get to a boiling point? No, that would be overlooking, wouldn't it? An overseer doesn't wait for the blow-up. He immediately acts. And I'm not saying, in a, when I say immediately acts, I'm not saying that he goes in harshly. What I am saying, though, is he doesn't procrastinate and allow it to get any worse. He deals with it right then. Or maybe he sees a need for a study on a particular topic, not just with, with certain individuals, but for the whole flock, for the whole congregation. Maybe there's a certain false doctrine that's being taught throughout the throughout the. Um, throughout the uh, community, and he says, we need to be prepared in case someone tries to infiltrate. I'll give you an example. This happened in Indiana. There is a false teaching called the 80-70 doctrine. I'll just say, I still don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. It seems very silly and absurd. It doesn't make logical sense. But regardless of all of that, it gained a lot of traction in Indiana, and, and even before me and Paige, I believe before we were even born. And there was a moment in one of the congregations around uh, our hometown that certain individuals from that 8070 doctrine, they started infiltrating that church and they started, they, they weren't just outright teaching in a Bible class, but what they were doing was they were taking individuals, you know, alone. They were bringing in individuals and they were trying to start little private conversations and they would just kind of, again, they would just say, hey, you need to believe this doctrine. What they would say is, have you ever thought about this? Now, we might look at that and say, that's really subtle, and maybe we, there's really nothing to go on when they're just being that subtle and they're being that gentle. But I'll tell you what one elder did, and I thought it was beautiful, and J.R. Bronger is the one that told me this story, and he advocated for this man because of what he did. He went up to the pulpit during worship service, and he said these words, if you are from this group and you are trying to teach this doctrine, it is a false doctrine, and you are not welcome here, so you best leave. Leave? <laughs> yeah. Because an overseer has to deal with problems. And when they see wolves in sheep's clothing trying to come in and disrupt the faith of some, guess what? They're not going to be okay just overlooking that issue. They're going to deal with it. That's what a real overseer does. And so they see a false doctrine that needs to be talked about. And, and they deal with that. And they don't wait till it upsets the faith of some. So, and so this means he's constantly active, constantly working within the flock.
And so he's overseeing, not just overlooking. Well, beyond that, I think it is also a man, and something happened to this computer, all of a sudden it stopped. I'm going to have to restart this very quickly. But it will come back on. I realize, Cody taught me how to do this efficiently, and I appreciate him, and we all should appreciate him for his work. Because <laughs> without him, I don't know if we could get this running. But over in, uh, along with this point, over in 1 Peter chapter 2, if you want to turn there, 1 Peter chapter 2. There we go. I knew we could get it working. Thank you, Cody. First uh, Peter chapter 2. There's a word here that I would like to focus on specifically. A man who is going to be an elder, an overseer, a shepherd, a pastor, he is going to be focused on, on guarding the flock. He's going to be focused on being protective. He's going to be vigilant about the flock and the unity of the flock and the health of the local congregation. He is not going to be careless or idle or timid about issues that may arise. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, you, we already read that, that Paul writes to the church at Philippi along with the overseers and the deacons. The same word for overseer is used in 1 Peter chapter 2. And, and I think it's very interesting. Let's just begin in verse 21 because I don't want to lose the context. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. And it says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. What word do you think in verse 25 is used for overseer? It's guardian. And I think it's interesting that when you're talking about that chief shepherd, you have both of these words, shepherd and guardian. It, and what is this talking about? The kind, of, the kind of overseer that we want, isn't it? The kind of shepherd, the, the kind of man that does guard the flock. Why, why I think this is important is because just, you know, you might look at that verse and say, well, you know, no one can really be like Christ. And of course, no one is in the sense that they're not perfect. No one is in the sense that they are not as pure as Christ. But at the same time, just like an elder is not, or, or a, a, a shepherd in the local capacity is not the chief shepherd, he's still trying to em emulate him and imitate him in the path. He's trying to look as much like him as possible. And I think it's the same with oversight. I think it's the same with being a guardian of the flock. Back over in Acts chapter 20. We already read verse 28. And we saw the very serious uh, responsibility that overseers have been given. In verse 28 he says, Because this is, the, uh, this is the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Why do you have to be on guard? Because in verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And so, I understand that we're not going to be able to be the guardian of, of, of souls like Christ is. But we are trying to imitate him as best as possible. Especially when we've been given a responsibility, a very serious one, that we will have to give an account for. And so, we need to be, if we want to be an overseer, if we want to be a scriptural overseer, we are going to be guarding the flock in the very same way. Over in Titus chapter 1, I told you we'd be going over there in Titus chapter 1. 
in the middle of the qualifications that Paul gives to, to Titus, and he repeats many things, but specifically in verse 9, as he talks about a man that, that, needs to have, that, need, that needs to have all of these qualities, but he also needs to be someone who holds fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. Now, again, I kind of go back to that example that I was talking about of that congregation in Indiana. I think some people would look at that man being like Elijah that we talked about this morning, being very bold, being very confident, and very stern in his rebuke. Some people would look at that and say, how dare he? How could he speak like that? Look at what Paul says to Titus. This, this kind of man needs to be able to silence those that are upsetting whole families. There are going to be times where people have to be silenced. In fact, it's happened here. And not too long ago. That there are people that are factious. There are people that are rebellious. There are people that come in and they teach false doctrine. And they're trying to cause strife among the brethren. And there's moments where we need to say, no more. You want to know why? Because this is the church that God built with his own blood, that he purchased with his own blood. And so that's going to need, there's going to be a need from time to time for that to happen. It's unfortunate, but there's a need. And men that are qualified for this work are going to be able to do that. And so what does this look like in the work of an elder? It does not look like no backbone men who won't speak up when error arises. And that's whether it's a, a wolf in sheep's clothing that comes from outside of the flock or within. Maybe it's someone that we're really close with. It doesn't matter. They're going too far. And I have a responsibility to guard the flock as a whole here. And so I'm not going to be partial. I'm going to be impartial. And just like we talked about earlier. It does not look like a mere diplomat who's trying to keep peace at all costs. Even at the cost of compromising in God's word. I know how easy it is. We, like, we don't like for there to be discomfort, but sometimes that's the only path forward that leads to a righteous conclusion. We're not going to try to cover things up just to keep peace, but we're going to get at biblical peace through biblical means. What this looks like is, is someone who can both refute those and rebuke those sternly who are going way too far out of the scriptures, but also can balance with those that may not be wolves in sheep's clothing, but maybe just need a simple admonishment. This kind of man is able to guard in both ways, to gently and with self-control admonish a brother that may just need a little correction, and being able to sternly say, you are not welcome here if you are going to be factious. You are not welcome here if you are going to reject Christ. We need a man that can keep that kind of balance. That is the kind of person that, ha that, is, that, that is vigilant. That is what an overseer is supposed to be. Well, finally, I would just say, ultimately, as we wrap this up, it, this is comprehensive. It is a life of service, not an infrequent hobby. This is... A role where someone does not just get to say, well, 90% I, I, of my time, or, you know, I, I work from 9 to 5 as an elder, but after 5, if a brother or sister has a problem, you're not going to be able to call me because, you know, the game's on. You're not going to be able to call me because this is, this is me time. <laughs> I'm not saying that there aren't moments where we can have to ourselves, like we can't go on a vacation or something. But what I'm saying is we're not going to reject people when they need us and we are actually available. And the only reason we're not available is because we say, no, I don't want to tonight. 
That's not the kind of man that could be a shepherd. The kind of man that can is one that is a servant truly and not just a servant when it's easy. An elder does not only sacrificially serve his friends or his clique. An elder is one that serves the whole flock. He doesn't just serve when it suits him. He serves because it is a priority as much as possible. Period. And so it is so very comprehensive, this work. But as, I, as we begin in 1 Timothy chapter 3, just because it's hard, just because it is going to be difficult from time to time, and just because it is going to be very comprehensive, that does not mean that it's not still a good work. It is something that we should aspire to. It is something that we should desire, that we serve in a higher capacity, in an even better capacity than we are right now. I understand not everybody can serve in that capacity. But we can't take away from the notion that this is a good role to fill if we can, if we're striving for it. And again, we'll talk more about the qualifications. And there's a need to talk about these qualifications because they're not just arbitrary. They're necessary. In fact, God makes clear that the only way that a man can be equipped or enabled for the stewardship of God's people. And we'll get into all of that. And so we don't want to downplay these qualities. But today, I just want to focus on the work. And the work of an elder is a good work. It's a fine work. It's a difficult one. And I would just say, I think it's, people would, would, would hear that or look at, these, uh, look at this work and say, well, I guess it's just way better than just being a Christian. I'm, we're not saying that. What we're saying is we're trying to serve in the best capacity that we can. And it may be that you're just not able to be an elder. Maybe you never will be able to. You know what you can be? You can serve as a Christian. And we can talk about qualifications all we want. You know what the qualifications are to become a Christian, to become a servant of God? Are you willing to hear everything that he has to say, willing to believe it, be faithful in it, be faithful in all his commands? Repent of the things that he says you need to do away with, make a confession based on that belief, and be baptized into his death to rise in newness of life. There they are. There are his conditions. Are you willing to continually be faithful in those and obey him truly and and? Have Jesus become your king this very night, you can have salvation before you leave this building. If you're a Christian and maybe you've strayed, you also have those qualifications for, uh, if I can use that accommodatively, you know what needs to be done to be in a right relationship with God again. And so the question is, are you willing to strive for those qualities that he says you need to have to be a part of his nation, to be a part of his kingdom? If you're willing to do all those things, you are ready to be a part of it. And so if you're subject by any means, please come forward and make your need known as we stand and as we sing.